a listener production. Hello and welcome to Listen Able, Dylan Orcott. Yeah, we're really excited because two of my worlds are colliding now. What's that? Two people that I work with separately are actually coming together as one. Mm. And I'm a bit worried that you guys will become friends and kind of vote me out of the group. Love to. Well, they do say cut out the middleman. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. You're and the middleman. I both like you as individuals and as people to work with. So, and obviously, I guess, is disabled, which means she could host this enable as well. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's find out who this guest is and let them introduce themselves. Hi. My name is Ashley. I'm 35. And I was diagnosed with a rare degenerative neurological condition called Friedrich's ataxia just over seven years ago now. Is it a type of muscular dystrophy? Um, of to- sorts? Kind of. Okay. Yeah, what is it, Ash? I don't, I don't really know what it is either. It's neuromuscular, so it affects um, mainly your balance and coordination. That's what ataxia refers to. Um, oh. So you kind of end up looking like you're drunk. Are you looking like you're drunk or are you actually drunk? No, I'm not. But you know what? The funny thing is when I was growing up before I was diagnosed, so probably early 20s, um, you start going out to pubs and nightclubs, um, I'd be lining up and I'd get to the front of the line and they would say to me, how many drinks have you had tonight? No way. This is before you knew you were, had it? Yep. Oh. oh, that is much more interesting because M. Carey has spoken about the same thing. She has, uh, she is paraplegic, so she has struggled walking and yeah. bouncers be like, well, look at you stumbling up here. Yeah, and I'd say I haven't even had any yet, but um, yeah, obviously knew my gait was a little bit strange. So um, yeah, that was probably the first sign along with Quite a few other things. Diagnosed by nightclub bouncer. That's it. What a story. I was going to (laughs) say. So we'll get into your story a bit more. So the work you do at Able Foods, we work together there. We do. Also, you're a bit of an NDIS expert. You're on the NDIS. You help deal with people who are on the NDIS at Able Foods and stuff. So we're going to fire some questions at you. Mm. Well, I'm going to get some questions too, aren't I, Angus? Yeah, you do. We asked on our socials and had a lot of response. A lot of them very specific to individual stories, which we're kind of going to steer away for just – we're going to talk a bit more generically, but we also, at this point, didn't want to chat to someone from the NDIS and get this, you know. The, Political spiel. Yeah, you know, that everything's great and, you know, flowers and puppies. So we're going to kind of get some real chat about the NDIS and hopefully you can answer some questions, um, being somebody who uses and has been on the other side of um, chatting to people with their own um, stories as well. So looking forward to that. But um, I was just going to start by saying probably one of the most important things as well about you, which I love, have you been to every Bon Jovi concert for the last 20 years? <laughs> I have probably every single one that he's come out to Melbourne since I was seven. That's wow. that's um Isn't dedication. John, John Bon Jovi bit before your demo. Yeah, I'll do it before my time. Um, I got brainwashed by an auntie when I was a lot younger. Mm. I think I was singing the words to "Living on Prayer" when I was two. Right. What? Is he that's still right. your hall pass these days? No. <laughs> okay, it's changed. Update a little bit. He's yeah. like 70 now. So oh, that's good. Is it your karaoke about, song of choice? He's about 60 now. Oh, so you so know. He's still good looking, but. Is um, it your karaoke song of choice? Um, oh, yeah. Give mm? us a bit now. So. No, I'm <laughs> So, you, Ash, you obviously weren't born with your disability. Um, you found out. In your educated. 20s? Yeah, I was diagnosed at 28, which is considered a late onset diagnosis, but. It's actually a genetic condition. So you are born with it. Your parents are carriers of a gene. 
mm. um, and they pass on the faulty gene to their child. Now, you There's, use the word faulty. Is that... Uh... Oh, I'm going to say it's a bad copy of a gene. So there's a one in four chance if you're a carrier to pass it on to your child. Mm. So I'm that one in four. Did they know they were carriers before you? No. Um, there's about one in 90 people are carriers oh. of the gene, which is... That's high. Yeah. Mm. But unless you Match meet with another someone one. Mm. that's also a carrier and have a child, there's still only a one in four chance, which okay. is mm. kind of pretty high. So a lot of people that have siblings... Um, they both have the condition. And you have siblings? I have a twin sister. And she's in a chair too? No. Oh. We're Dylan fraternal. knew this. I mean, he's asking questions. I mean, obviously asking questions. That I are... mean, we can just cancel the pot if you want. That's, <laughs> point. That's my job over here. We are fraternal, so we're not identical. So, Do you know that if you were to be identical, you both would definitely have it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. So she has no disability at all, completely able-bodied? No. And I mean, even parents as carriers, if you're a carrier of the gene, you don't have any symptoms. Yeah. And so she had a 25% chance, though, like you did, of getting it as well. Yeah. Uh, just when it came to the lottery. So I always say she got the good genes. The genetic lottery, literally. Do you think it's good genes and you got the bad genes? How do you feel about that situation? Um. Obviously, if I could wish the condition away, I would. Well, not obviously. Um, yeah, see, that's interesting because I wouldn't. Yeah, I feel like mine's a little bit different because I spent the first 28 years mm. of my life without a disability, so I know what it's like to live like live life without one. Yep. Um, but we also have people who have accidents and have been on our podcast and similar. also say that they yeah. want, you know, they would keep their life the way it is. And I actually really appreciate your honesty in so this because I. we don't want the my life's great now and I've adapted to disability and I wouldn't change anything because there are a lot of people, able-bodied people, myself, and I go, really? Do you, are you trying to tell yourself that? Are you convincing mm. yourself of this? Whereas you can kind of say that. Yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, I like myself. Mm -hmm. I like my life. There's not a lot of things I would change, but if you could get rid of the disability, I definitely would. Why is that? Um, it affects every single part of my life. Um, most people think it's just a mobility issue. So your balance and coordination are affected, which eventually leads to a loss of mobility. People end up using a walking aid, so a walker, a walking stick or a cane, and eventually a wheelchair. And you're in a little scooter that cruising yeah, on a scooter, scooter these days. It's really cool. A, it's actually one of the most gangster looking yeah, scooters. Cool. You came it's in Angus, cool. were you like, that's sick. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen one. I've seen so many people in chairs. I've never seen the actual mobility and scooter. Obviously, this is a, a audio medium, but to describe it, it's like a what you would describe as an old school, like a granny style scooter, but actually like pimped out and mm. cool and sleek and compact. Yeah, it doesn't Does have a sense? basket at the front yeah. for your shoulder. And a horn and stupid mirrors. It's not an old lady scooter. No, it's actually cool. <laughs> So apart from the mobility, it affects um, lots of different things. So you can develop diabetes, um, slurred speech, difficulty swallowing, um, and there are the neurological things. So impaired vision, hearing loss, and probably the most serious one is a heart condition called cardiomyopathy. So every year I go and get a echocardiogram, which I'm actually going for next week, and that's pretty much a ultrasound of your heart, and they 
um, check for any changes that have happened in the past year. What, what, were, you, what were you dreading more, that appointment or this podcast record? Oh, I don't know, probably this one. I've, <laughs> I've done heaps of the echoes before, so I'm pretty good I with like them. It. I know what cardiomyopathy is. Uh, tragically, I lost my beautiful first dog. His name is Axel. He's oh. a great Dane and he had cardiomyopathy. And towards the end, uh, we kind of gave him on medication a week of his life to kind of control his heart. But his heart was beating like five times a second. Yeah. I, I, can't even, I couldn't clap as fast as his heart was beating. So it was basically like he was nonstop sprinting. And so, yeah, we had to um, put him down. Not everyone with condition gets the the heart disease to go with it. So... It's something that's monitored and, yeah, it can lead to loss of life early um, if you develop a serious condition. So. Yeah, something that medication can't really prolong. I mean, it's literally your heart beating mm. at an incredibly rapid rate. Mm-hmm. So when you were growing up, so you were diagnosed when you were 28, did you have moments now when you reflect when you were 14 and you started falling over? And yeah. So can you think back and think about times when you started to realise your body might have been a bit different? Yep, definitely. Um, we kind of passed it off as maybe I was uncoordinated growing up. I actually used to play tennis competitively um, growing up, probably up until I was about 18. Probably around 16, I noticed that when I threw the ball up to serve, um, if I looked too far up and wasn't looking at the ground anymore, I was kind of a little bit off balance. And that's because you don't realise how much you need your vision mm, for your balance. Mm. Um, so That's one of those things. It's like when you go to the gym or you try and stretch your body and it's always good to just pick out a blade of grass or something and concentrate yeah. on that one moment to try and keep your balance. That's something I still do today yeah. in the gym when I stretch before. Don't they say that when you – like also when you – not that I can do it, but – if you're trying to say where you're spinning around, you've got to try and keep one point or something? Well, think about a ballet dancer. Yeah. And so you see their head quickly flick back onto the one moment. So they'll hold it as long as they can with their eyes, ah. spin around, and try and catch it again. Ash, that's what you and balance. I are doing wrong. That's why we have bad balance. <laughs> Not enough neck spinning. It probably wasn't bad enough that it really affected too much of my life. So I thought oh, I can compensate by throwing the ball toss up shorter so I don't have to look up uh, for yeah. as long. Look to the horizon. So, yeah. But so you you kind of threw that one away, literally, as as just like a one-off thing? Was it yeah. a com- What was the next combination to try? Um, I couldn't do stairs. Well, I could do them, but I needed a, a handrail all the time. And that was the first, that was when you were like, all right, something's yeah. going on here? Where were you when that happened? Um, I'm going to say high school. You know how double story you would need to go up and down stairs to get to yeah. different classes? There's no so. elevator high school, high school. But yeah. you got diagnosed 28. So what do you mean? At high school you knew but you just didn't go see a doctor about it? When I was probably about 18 or 19, I went to get orthotics. So I went to see a podiatrist. He got me to walk up and down his corridor Mm. quite a few times. So he was watching how I walked. He sat me down and said, you've got a really strange gait, so you walk funny. Has anyone ever told you that? And I was like, hmm, kind of knew that I was a little bit uncoordinated. He pretty much flat out said to me, have you ever been checked for MS? Oh, really? So I went to get orthotics mm. and left thinking I might have MS. Multiple sclerosis. So, that's but that, scary. That, that's what it would presented it looked early like stages as. Yeah. yeah. So what Just off those tests, yeah. Um, I did go to see a neurologist. So it was probably around 20. I went to go see one. They did a few neurological tests with me. 
strange stuff, listened to me talk. And he pretty much decided from that that perhaps I had a small cerebellum, which is the part of your brain that controls your balance. Okay. So, yeah, he just said maybe that's smaller. So what, you left thinking, all right, that's all good. I'm like, great. That's 21. About 20. Okay, and then for the next eight years you kind of went about your life. In denial. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Talk us through that. Um, It did get worse. He was like, come back if it gets worse. I didn't go back for ages. So, Eight years. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk us through that feeling? Is it like because you're scared, because you're guilty? What's the deal? Well, I think it's scared, Mm. the unknown, um, that something could do really wrong. Um, So I never got like an MRI or anything to confirm if I had MS or not. Who did you confide in over that period of time before the diagnosis? Um, I live with um, uh, my, one of my housemates. Um, I went to high school with her, so she was probably my closest friend that I went through everything with. So, What about your twin, your fraternal uh, twin? I actually hadn't told anyone that I went to go see a neurologist initially. We all kind of knew something was going on, but I didn't tell anyone. Left unspoken, so kind of. I had no answers, so I thought... If I just ignore it, did your mate not ask me about it? Did yeah. you ever retrospectively now ask your friend? Did she know something was up as well? They all knew. Mm. Yeah, I think they just, just didn't, didn't really go into too much detail with me because they knew it made me probably feel uncomfortable okay. or that's strange. Sad. I don't yeah. know. I can only put myself into your shoes to try and get questions about how I think I would feel in that moment to try and relate in some way, which is always difficult with this podcast. I find. Was that fear of being diagnosed and finally finding out what was going on physically, did you feel like someone was going to just finally stop the roadblock of your life and go, oh, Europe, oh, you'll never go back to London. Yeah. You'll never go to nightclubs. Maybe. I feel like you think growing up you don't learn a lot about disability, so I feel like you think it's a scary thing. Mm. I was still quite young, still living out my dreams and that kind of thing, and you think, I don't want anyone to tell me something's going to change and someone's going to put limitations re- on you. Redirect your path, yeah. Kind of thing. Tell you what your life is yeah. now, and that's why eight years you waited. I did. Sorry, but it actually took a long time to get diagnosed. So oh. it took a whole year. It kind of progressed to furniture walking. So I had like fingerprints of like me <laughs> touching walls. Um, I'd touch like the couch, or I'd even got to the point where if I went out. In public or go, I'd go shopping or to the footy or whatever, I'd hold on to someone's arm because I was yeah. scared about being knocked over. So no one, when you're hanging onto the walls at home, said, hey, Ash, let's go to the doctor? Yeah, they did, but I wasn't ready. Okay. So, and they just let you go? Yep. Have you talked to your family and friends about that and what they felt at that moment? I it must think, be tough for your mum to yeah, beg you to go to a hospital or a I doctor. I think they were banning on me to be ready. Mm-hmm. But don't isn't there a concern that it could be something yeah. that needs to yeah, be? Yeah, like what if it can be fixed? Yeah, or, like well, the longer you prolong it, the, the more damage you're correct. doing. Yeah. As a parent, like I'm just that's because Angus just had a child. He's yeah. had his first. I think like daughter. what if my daughter? I'd be like, come on, please, we need to go see someone. But also at the same time, you're a woman, like I independent, like, and also like we already had gone to see a neurologist. Yeah. So almost a decade ago. Oh, it wasn't that long ago. It was like maybe six or <laughs> yeah, seven yeah, years yeah. before that. No, fair enough. Anyway, eventually worked up the courage to go back and see a neurologist. 
Um, a different one? Different one, I hope. Different one. Thank yeah. you. I was convinced it was MS. So I was like, Googled like mm. all my symptoms. <laughs> I was like, yep. Yeah, yeah, I do that. It's like anyone who gets a cold. Oh, my God, what's going on with me? <laughs> yeah, never Google your <laughs> symptoms, everybody. Dr. Google is yeah. my partner should tell. I've died Loves four times. Loves Google. Yeah. Hey, I've got this. No, you don't. You just feel a bit different. <laughs> um, yeah, Dr. Google, not good. Nah. Not good. So I went to see a neurologist. He specialised in MS. So it was like, this should be straightforward. This is the guy, yeah. Um, he obviously, my symptoms presented like MS at this point. I could still walk unaided, but my gait was all over the place. I couldn't really walk that far without help. He was like, yep, I'm going to send you to see a professor. And I took like all my test results over like the past how many years in to see this professor. I was with him for five minutes and he knew what was wrong with me. Five minutes. I'm like, I've spent a year with this guy. Oh, I would have been so I, pissed. I know, but I I always have this thing with, like, it's kind of a leniency with doctors and vets. A hard gig for sure. Because how can you be an expert on everything? I know. Like, you've, you've got to have knowledge on everything, but you can't be an expert in everything. I agree. And just to, juxt- to juxtaposition on that, our point of view, which I agree with, man. Of course. Is that we spend so much bloody time there. It's devastating, isn't it? When you're there in hospital and you don't know what's going on, I can't even put into words how devastating it is. Mm. And this whole year, like, my balance was getting worse. So I was like, what if we could be doing something in this year Mm. and we're just waiting for so long? When you found out, relief or grief? Yes, relief. Relief over grief? A diagnosis, finally. Not grief, oh, this I'm not just unfit. Okay. Spending so long trying to find out and even, I guess, having symptoms that long, you kind of get used to a certain way of life. So to have an answer... Is mm. amazing. Yeah. What were the first questions you asked? Great question. So it was a genetic blood test in the end. So after all my tests, I only had to get a blood test. I know. Mm. Um, so the day I was diagnosed was pretty bad. Like the professor, he said to me, like, there's not many other things that I could deliver that would be worse news for you. It would be a brain tumour and that would be Is probably Is that how he worse. opened up? Yeah. And he said. Holy um, moly. But don't you want that matter of fact? But it's not though, I don't think. Did he? But did he do it in a more compassionate way mm, than that? Not really. Okay. Put a box of tissues on the desk okay. and said, yeah, brain tumour would be worse. This one um, has no treatment or cure. Um, you're going to be in a wheelchair in the space of 10 years. I'd recommend to get a house without stairs. And uh, that was it. Just on this line of chat up for my... Other company, not where we work, but it's called Get Skilled Access, a consulting company for uh, to educate people about disability. All our associates and consultants are disabled, and we've just put a proposal to the health department about this exact thing because I did a talk to 3,000 graduating doctors at Melbourne Uni. How much education do you think they had about awareness and inclusion training of people with disability in those four years, Angus? I'm going to say none. Uh, he said less than 10 minutes. Yeah. So they deliver news like that. Yeah, I just thought, gee, I've had a really good life up until now. It's going to be a lot different to what I thought, but, hey, it can still be good. Do you still feel like that now, a bit a bit devastated about it? No. Now, we're going to get into some stuff around the NDIS uh, in a minute, but the way that you and I became friends is we started working together. Um, we did. We set up Able Foods, which is a ready-made meal provider, but we also have some stuff in Coles supermarkets, baked beans at the moment, whereby we provide 
uh, food for people with disability. They can pay for it via the NDIS. Most of the, the government funds most of it, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think one of the things we're most proud of is we pretty much exclusively employ people with disabilities. Um, we try and be disability voice led. And I think that's something that I guess I love about you. And were you, when you got diagnosed, was like employment something that you were worried about? Not initially because it wasn't overly obvious. I can still walk around unaided. But when I was actually made redundant last year, I'd been at the company I worked for for like 10 years. So mm. I was like going to find a new job with a walking aid, so either my walker or a scooter. Like um. I've never navigated that kind of situation before. So doing job interviews mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, I was like, even though I'm qualified, they might like me, what if I go to the end of the list because I yep. use a walking aid? Do you yeah, know? What if there's just this one step at the front building, mm. you're the perfect person, like, oh, we have to change a lot Correct. to just get yep. Ash in. Do you know the funny part about it, right, and we'll be up front, we were looking for people with disability and we found Ash in our marketing PR manager, Maddie. Take away the fact they have disabilities. Holy crap, they're just good employees, right? Mm. It's such a learning even for us and me that – we actually started out exclusively looking, but you'd get the job anywhere, disability or not. And it's such an important thing to talk about, I think, because do you think it's, I guess, important that there are examples and that people talk about it and things like that, especially, I guess, you're our NDIS expert at, at what we do. You keep smiling when I say expert because you're worried they're not going to be able to answer the I questions. Am. But, you know, you have people call up. You work on the phones with people who are on the NDIS, who are disabled. Do they have worries about things like that, about lack of opportunity for employment and not being able to get the resources they need. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I know myself, I think, I don't know whether it's a, a workplace thing, but you internalise it massively. So I don't know whether it's more that companies don't hire people or it's something you're worried about personally. It's a fear, maybe an individual fear that you kind of have to work around or whether it's you actually have to go out and meet companies and see how they feel about hiring people. And also, you're at the coalface of it because you get a lot of people calling up. What's just, what's the general vibe of people with disabilities? You know, and, and also got to make clear, and you might not know this, Angus, the NDIS is for people with disability in Australia, correct? Mm -hmm. Four and a half million people have a disability. So only about 500,000 of that on the NDIS. Oh, uh, yeah. There's other um, revenue streams, the disability support pension. So if you don't get the NDIS, you can get the DSP still. Okay. Um, but there's just different ways of, of So doing NDIS more specific to certain needs that you need within the house, whereas the- Not in the house, higher level disabilities. I gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, NDIS for me, I pay for all my, I don't pay for it. I use my funding for all my physical therapy. So I do like neurophysio, hydrotherapy, Pilates, anything. So because there's no cure or treatment, I can just try and stay active and keep fit, keep strong. So covers those kind of things. Mm. It also covers support workers. So I get someone to help me take me to the appointments. The NDIS is not a handout system. It's not benefits, right? It's not like the doll. It is funding so people with a disability can live the lives that they need to live and deserve to live mm. so they can stop getting pensions and start paying taxes. So it was created by the Productivity Committee of Australia. They said if you fund people with disabilities, get them better wheelchairs, better access, support workers, food, they'll go out and get jobs. Yeah. But they need that support to do it. But also, rather than have our, Ash, you and I have our parents look after us, you can get support workers so our parents can go get jobs. 
Mm. And as a result, mm. it increases the GDP and everything like that. Before I had NDIS funding, my mum used to try and get time off work to take me to appointments and that kind of thing. But like, mm. she couldn't do that forever. So to have that kind of support, to have people help me go to those appointments yeah. and not have to use my mum or sister or whatever, mm. amazing. But it's, I understand like for a lot of people, it's so hard to navigate. I mean, I have well, been that's on why it. Yeah. Mm, we do have a lot of. <laughs> I've been on it three years. The first year, because I self manage, I don't. I don't really get anyone to help me um, choose supports, give me advice. I do a lot of research myself. Mm-hmm. Um, first year, I didn't really spend a lot of my funding. Um, I probably didn't use everything I could have or needed to. And after that first year, they. Cut your f- my funding in half because I didn't oh, use you didn't it. Use it. That's one of my questions. I'm like, is it use it or lose it when it comes to it money? Is. Do you get to bank it up like a big no. expensive wheelchair or something? No. Just before we get into that, can you explain what self managed and what the other forms are? Yeah, self managed, um, where the individual manages their plan, their funding, they pay the invoices up front and get reimbursed by the NDIS. Like doing your accounting or your tax. I was going to say all well, your super fund. Correct. There is plan managed where you employee or you you use your funding to have the plan manager do all your invoices. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to keep track of. And if you have appointments every day or use your funding every single day, like imagine trying to keep track. Like an accountant for you? Of all that. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty much accounts. You know, one of the only knocks on it is it's hard. It's a slow process because they're in demand and and it takes a while to get things done. But also in that, you pay them for the service as well. Or does the NDIS directly pay them? Does that come out of your own funding or is that additional funding that the NDIS will put towards? It it comes out of your own funding, but the NDIS will provide you extra funding if you need to use the plan manager. You get extra money to pay for it. That makes sense. Um, And then the third one is agency managed, which means the NDIA manage it for you so they pretty much pay all the invoices. So they control your the funds. the NDIA? The NDIS is National Disability Insurance Scheme and the A is the agency that runs it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's in-house production. Yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't they offer that as a mandatory or compulsory to give um, people the option to do it themselves? Self-managed means you have to like have the funds to pay for it all yourself up front. So yeah. maybe people don't have the funds up front to pay for things, ah. um, especially when there's a lot of out-of-pocket costs, yeah. um, things like getting a scooter and that kind of thing is huge. Yeah. So imagine like paying for that up front, waiting to get reimbursed. Yeah, and also not everyone can advocate for themselves as well, you know what I mean? So um, there's a there's a movement at the moment to move this thing called an independent assessment. Uh, independent assessments whereby everyone on the NDIS, say Ash and I, I'm not on it yet, but I'll be, I might be on it one day, I haven't done it so far. We have three hours to have a one-on-one with someone and that's it. And they decide on your funding in those three hours, right? Yeah. If you can't advocate for yourself and you forget things or you slip up, well, then you might miss out. And I think also for self-manage, if you don't have the capabilities of, of managing it, you need someone to help you with it. Yeah. But then in saying that, there's a worry that people will miss out on opportunities because how does, I mean, a random who knows not too much about disability potential making decisions about your life is scary. If you think about it, mm-hmm. in a three-hour meeting with someone, they're going to decide your life. Here come the questions. Now, once again, we are going to preface, uh, Dylan did, did use the word expert, but we're chatting to you because we didn't want the uh, direct ambassador to kind of sugarcoat it. We want the real questions from Facebook. Sarah asks, 
What is the future of specialist disability accommodation or SDA or accessible homes look like? Will the model change? SDA, so they're um, building accommodation where people with disability can live fully independently or um, independently with a bit of help so they can get out of home and things like that. There have been examples of 16-year-old kids in nursing homes with 90-year-olds because yeah. they've got nowhere else to go. So these SDA homes are funded and built so fully accessible for people with all kinds of disabilities to live independently outside of home but also with the help that they need. So there is more and more funding coming in. The rollout's been slower than expected. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there are more and more buildings getting done because I'm trying to think if I was at a nursing home right now because I needed that care, same as you, Ash, not fair, is it? Uh, next question comes from Tessa Rusden. What is one thing you guys think that could make the process of NDIS better? I am going to say wait times. Seems quite a popular one with all the comments. A lot yeah. of wait time. How do you improve that though? Under-resourced. It's Maybe. Under-resourced. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And my big thing is there needs to be more lived experience involved. Yep. So more people with disability involved in decision-making. It's getting a lot better. I'm not knocking it. Um, but also make sure the people that make the decisions, so the people that go out and do these assessments and the wait times on the phones and stuff, make sure they have disability awareness and inclusion training and know what they're talking about mm. because mm. there's been some pretty horrible stuff whereby you kind of get treated like a, like a number and it's just mm. kind of get it out of the way when, you know, you've got to appreciate everyone with disability is different and we all need different things and we need the time to be able to get that across. Um, my recommendation would be to speak to your local area coordinator. So when you get a plan, everyone gets a local area coordinator or LAC um, and they're your direct contact to the NDIS. So if you have any um, thing to follow up, if you have complaints, if you're planning on getting funding approved for assistive tech, go to them directly. And the ones that get answers are the ones that follow up. So follow up like every week with them. I get frustrated as an able-bodied guy when I'm on the phone to, let's say, a telco, and I have to go through my age, my name, all of my details, Mm. and then I have to tell them my specific problem in detail. And then they go, I'm going to have to put you through to somebody else. And I get frustrated again, next person, age, phone number, all of that details. So I can imagine how difficult it would be, especially if maybe speech is a problem for you. Also for a parent advocating, constantly calling up for their yeah. kids. Just a bit Every of time space. to go through your life yeah. story to different person. And there's so many yeah. people that need it, so it's, we're not knocking it. It's tough no, no, for no. them, but definitely one thing that people talk about. Uh, Instagram, uh, Gabby Simpson said, recent rumours around the removal of self-management are concerning. Do you know anything more about this? Ooh, I have heard this, um, that they're not going to remove it, I don't think, for entire plans, but certain components of your funding. So I know we do a lot at Able Foods with meal prep and delivery as part of your core funding. It's ne- It now has to be a stated line item. So I self-manage my own funding for that. Um, it has been, it's also plan managed um, by a lot of people, but I know that the NDIS are talking about removing the plan manage and self-manage component and making all meal delivery now agency managed, yeah. which... So one thing about the course, so just say you have 60 grand, Angus, and you know I asked that it was hard to spend. Previously, you could just spend that on what you... Not what you wanted. You can't go buy, you know. I can't, you, yeah. Can't get a Mustang. Correct. But you can have it and then you keep the receipts and then you do it yourself. And go, I needed that. And they go, fair enough. Now, you need to get that set out. I need three grand for food, $4,000 for a car, 4000 for a bathroom, 3000 mm-hmm. for physio. Do you know how long that takes? You've constantly got to call 
Yeah, LAC. Justifying. Then got a call, and now you can see why the process gets. So I think there needs to be more trust put into the people with disability and families because we know what we need more so than someone potentially for and a quick meeting. I think now what they're saying is that three grand you get for food, you can't actually pay the invoices. The NDIA will do it for you. And they'll do it slowly. So you can see how the process slows up. And there's I think, a whole like approval process you've got to go, go through to actually get the ball rolling. And, so. and when back when I was youngster, we got funding to the government for care and stuff. They made those decisions of what you did with it. The whole point of the NDIA is to give choice to people mm. with disability. So they shouldn't decide if you want to do that or not. You decide if you want to do that or yeah. not because it's your life. Santi Martinez asks, how does the process of building your own house from scratch using the NDIS home modification support work? So, yeah, you just have to justify what you need and then someone else decides if it's legit or not. So I hope to – I have an inaccessible – I don't have the NDIS yet, um, but I'd be I'd be applicable because of my disability and I my bathroom's not accessible at all, zero. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I've said that too when I'm around his house. I'm like, and how do you I'm not get just making it up. Man. It's not accessible, is it? It's not I'd even crawl close. Around the ground, I try it's hardly accessible for me. I almost cut my feet. Like, it's dangerous. <laughs> so I need to do it. And I then say, I need this shower. This, this works for me. And they go, yeah, agree on the shower. Don't think you need that. Yes, I need that. And that's how the decisions are made. And this is one of my questions – pushing this off Instagram back to myself, I uh, I wrote, how many people try and rort the system and claim funds they aren't eligible for? I tell you, rorts are the most as well. Able-bodied people trying to get a taste of the disability dollars. Okay. So providers. Oh, right. Able-bodied providers. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm a mechanic and I'm going to get do NDI's cars or I'm a builder and I'm going to um, do this. Or I've actually seen myself physios that charge Correct. one price for able-bodied people and a different price for people in the NDIS because they, they know, they know getting substituted. that um, and the NDIS will fund it. You know how they want more, the NDIS are changing up the system to try and get more control. Mm. That is to tighten up the fraud of, uh, one reason is to tighten up the fraud of providers. But do you know that really hurts? Us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it makes the wait longer and the choice less choice. Yeah, there are cowboys out there. You've got to find them and get rid of mm-hmm. them. But that's where it hurts people with disability because we're the ones who miss out sometimes. I always think about it this way as well. Like you get a certain amount of funding. If they're paying like double the price, you're going to run out of your funding mm. sooner. So it's actually, it's even well. though it's not our money, it's the NDIS funding, uh, we're going to run out of the funding. So you might be able to go to your physical appointments. It paints it with a bad brush because the NDIS is the best invention scheme since Medicare, right? Yeah. It's huge for us. And it's specific to Australia. Yeah, we're so appreciative of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Other countries just don't have this sort of support. I'm going to say it's been great for me. Yeah. Like I don't have that many bad things to say about it. It's been wonderful. It's been able to – before the NDIS, I could go to my neurophysio once a fortnight, even once a month if I was lucky. I just couldn't afford it. Affordability was, yeah. yeah. Um, so when the NDIS came in, I was like, great, I'm going to go once a week. And when that's the only thing you've been told that will help you prolong walking, getting around, that kind of thing, um, I need to make that a priority. So being able to go to that weekly is amazing. Gosh. I wouldn't be able to do that when, without the NDIS. When I was a kid, you get a wheelchair and because there was no NDIS, you had no funding, they'd get your wheelchair like bigger so you grow into it. And <laughs> oh my, my wheelchair is 12 inches right now wide, my seat. Like about a thing about a subway. That's my where my bum goes in. Long, yeah. Eighteen inches they made it. One because I was a bit fat, but it was so big because I had to last me because we didn't have funding. It's like mum with my school jacket. Can you believe that? Yeah, she got because we couldn't. We didn't have much money growing up. Correct. So mum would give me like a year tens jacket Did, at year seven, 
and I was like oversized. I mean, she's like, you're going to grow into it, Angus. Uh, mm. And do you know what I did? I ate cheesy nuggets from Red Rooster and Doritos every day. So I did grow into it. <laughs> so they know it. But, there you go. Uh, but now, especially, you know, young kids or adults, they can get what they need because our bodies are changing. It's evolving. Mm. And that's why it's such a, a great thing. Um, the only issue I've had with it is that last year they wouldn't give me a scooter. They wouldn't give me one. I've got a degenerative condition. It affects my ability to walk, to move around safely, to access the community, to go to work. That's obvious you will need it at some point. They said, you've got a degenerative condition. What about next year you might ask for something different? Because what about next year you might ask for a wheelchair? So we're just going to hold off and and see what happens later on. Ariana has asked, where does the NBN stand on respite? Carers Australia. NBN. NBN, that's national broad, broad, broad. NDIS, sorry. Where does the NDIS stand on respite? <laughs> Funnily enough, I was on the phone to NBN today because I'm setting oh, up my, my house. I should have Facebook like, wait, yeah. are we getting the internet now? Sorry, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm dealing <laughs> with the NBN in my new house. Good stuff. Um, so Carers Australia mentioned that you get respite through the NDIS, but actually I thought the NDIS was for people with disability, so no respite. So they're talking about, you know, uh, obviously carers or support workers um, getting some sort of funding um, to give them respite. For yeah, res- respite, yes, their parents can go away. And yeah. get, I used to have it at home, um, funding. through. The, they still have that through local governments, like home care and respite and stuff. Um, but NDIS is a different scheme to that. So if you can't get NDIS, you can still get respite funding and do things like that. So I thought that was an interesting question why, as an able-bodied person, if I was a support worker or a carer for somebody, family, friend, whatever, I could be getting some sort of funding myself. And what does that respite look for, like? No, it'd be funding of the person so they can – so if you uh, need to, yeah, if you look after someone with full time care, right, the other way around, you, can, yeah. you can get pay for someone to look after your child who needs full time mm. care, and you can have a respite and go away. You don't pay gotcha. for it. Gotcha. Um, I think the best way to describe it is when you're applying for something or requesting something, you need to relate it back to how it's going to benefit the individual. So how it's going to benefit your daughter or your son, or how it's going to benefit me. So. It all needs to relate back to the person. Yeah. So you can't say... I want to go to the Gold Coast. Yeah, I want to go on a holiday. I'm tired. Yeah. So it would but, be like, how is this going to benefit your daughter? Yeah, gotcha. but you can say our daughter hangs out with us all the time. She needs to meet other people. She needs support to get out and, and, and go out and do things without gotcha. us. And they'll be like, oh, it makes sense. Two more questions. Great tip, that me. one, for people who are trot polite. That's good. Ross has recently been given his NDIS plan. He's doing self-management. Where does he start? Well, yeah, tough one. I'm going to say the best place to start is get some help from a support coordinator. So they are people that actually work to help get the best out of your funding. So they will give you recommendations on how you can use your funding. Um, They might say, sit down and chat with you and see what you need and they can make recommendations. Um, You might need to see them at the start. You might need to see them three months down the track to see how you're going with your plan mm. and see how your funding's going. Apart from that, I would also, probably the biggest one that's helped me is to speak to other people that are on the NDIS. Great, great tip. Get, um, get advice from them, see how is they spend. Facebook groups or something Yeah, like you can this? find like people. I mean, you hopefully you have people in your group through yeah. the disability world you know. I agree. Don't complain on Facebook hit up people who are on it who can help you through the system, mm. which they is might, a bummer that you have to do that, but it helps. They might give you ideas that you haven't thought of. Like, mm. for example, I used to go and get a remedial massage every now and again. I get tight muscles and it just helped with movement. The NDIS won't fund massage. 
so I spoke to a friend that is on the NDIS and she goes to see an osteo for that purpose. Uh, okay. So I, think- I now see an osteo. So to Ross, would it be fair to say to him that as much as it is self-managed, there's so much assistance out there yeah. that can still help you? Because I think that self makes you isolate yourself to go, okay, I need to do my own budgets. I need to do all of the work when really there's still assistance and probably free assistance out there to help you. If you've got the skills, self-manage. Right. It's way better because it's faster because you make the decisions a little bit more if you've got the skills. And but you can, can learn the skills and if you need help. You can actually, um, you've got, Heaps more flexibility in what kind of providers mm. you go to as well. Because so. your play manager will be like, oh, these are the two options and there's actually ah, 20 options out there. Gotcha. So you go find what you go, I don't want that one, mate. I want this one. And they're like, ah, if you self-manage, you can choose that. Last question. Amber Lacey has asked on Instagram at listenable underscore podcast, why is there an age limit? And the number 65 is consistently referenced throughout our comments. After that point in time, there is other programs that are set up um, to help people that are older. Pensions? Like so, pensions. Um, aged care yeah, aged packages. Care yeah. um, right. Which do a similar kind of thing. They're obviously not identical. But, um, yeah, you set up like a home care package. I think it's called aged care package yep. to help you out at home. So if you want to get like um, support workers at home that come over and visit you, they can do that kind of thing. Or if you need to go into a aged care home, that way you get extra help. There's funding for that as well if you can't afford it and right. things like that, obviously. I also thought potentially maybe your superannuation might come into it. Yeah, but if you don't have any, that's the point. Yeah. But yeah. I was, there was a couple of I examples. I guess you've got to of, put a limit on it. Yeah. And yeah. And you look, as we said, there's only 500,000 people of the 4.5 mil on it. And, mm. you know, for people that miss out, it's a bummer. And, and hopefully they get the resources they need elsewhere or they keep applying or the scheme changes or whatever it is. And um, But as we said, it's – for people on it and it's it's a great program when done properly there are some changes that can be made and hopefully that those the voices our voices are listened to about we're the ones saying it's easy fix you just got to do this and sometimes they're a bit no we know what we're doing so i think the tide is changing and it's a as we said it's a it's a really beautiful thing that people are listening right now if you're not disabled you're paying for remember that yeah and we appreciate it because we need that it's a it's really helpful it's, it's not even helpful it's a necessity right it actually makes life possible Thankful for the people who wrote the comments on Facebook and Instagram and really thankful to have you, Ash. Thanks so much for coming and sharing your story and also sharing some wisdom and imparting it, not just me, but everyone listening. Thanks for having me, boys. And you're definitely my favourite co-worker ever, Angus. That's fine. Another great episode, another great guest and another suggestion from you guys. Listen, Able podcast at outlook.com is the best way. We still get a lot of DMs of people trying to send suggestions and I always push them to the email so the whole team can see it. Makes our team and especially for you, Angus, a bit easier. But for everybody that's, you know, sharing our podcast on their socials, on Instagram, taking a photo, it really helps. Thanks for subscribing. We've got heaps more good content coming soon, like this guest. I collect bottles and cans because, and I'm saving up to have my I'm tenant on recycling to then to employ people with disabilities and to make like the community feel like they're included. It's a really it's a really smart idea. Why do you love recycling so much? I like recycling because um, when I go on my mobility scooter, um, I get to go and meet all um, people in the public and I get to talk to the public and introduce and talk to them and ask them how their week's been and do all that. That's the next episode. Until then, stay safe. We'll talk to you then.
Listen Able was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull. Listener.